way, my way, and the right way. So I want to give you some comforting news from the world. This ought to comfort you. You know I'm joking probably, right? (laughs) Today I heard a commercial, and the commercial said something to this effect. Uh, If you've run your credit cards up and you're in debt over your head, it's not your fault. Well, then whose is it? (laughs) Whose fault is it? If if you've done it, whose fault is it? And then this was a news bleep. Uh, uh, that uh, the government, the legislators, I can't wait for this. You know how good uh, D.C. is about helping us. Uh, They've decided that there's a problem with loneliness in America, and the government's going to try to pass some laws to help with that. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, They do such a bang-up job with everything else, I thought, well... But see, the world, what's wrong with the world? They're just searching. They're just searching. And if these, if we could understand what the real issue is, what's breaking us down is sin. That's what's destroying our cultures, our countries. The Bible says in Psalms that the nations that forget God will be turned into hell. Uh, And literally, we see that in countries. We see it in pockets of our own country where it's just like, the devil has really set up a stronghold in certain locations, and people's lives are miserable. And, uh, and, and our solutions are not the right solutions. You, the best thing you can do about sin is what? Repent and get God back on your side. So we welcome everybody that's joined us from around the globe. We welcome those of you who get this podcast, all you that are in the building tonight. Summer is headed toward the end, uh, tail end, school will be starting soon. So uh, we just want to thank God for all His goodness, even though time seems to be flying. The good news about that is we're getting closer to Jesus coming back. Amen? So that's good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time. We thank You for Your love and mercy. We thank You for Your forgiveness. We ask You to help us to do Your will and forgive us, Lord, of our transgressions and Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. Thank you for sending your Son to die in our place. None of us deserve what you've given us, Lord, but we're so thankful that you loved us and that you've shown your mercy and grace toward us. We pray, Lord, that uh, as we get in your word, we'll learn and it'll impact our lives, but that we'll be more like you when we leave here. In Jesus' name, amen. So Job is going to step up and talk some more. He says, uh, listen, and you may have been here where you feel all this trouble and anguish and really don't know where it's coming from. Maybe you've been in a situation like that. Maybe you think you know where it's coming from. Maybe you blame it on something uh, that you see, but it's really Satan that's working things to try and discourage you and I or to defeat us in some kind of way. Job's there. Job's going through a trial without any understanding. He's trying to find it. And he's looking at himself. He's hoping God will show up and give him some understanding. His, his friends sit around for a few days and then they started sharing things with him, some of which were real truths but well, they were not necessarily applicable to Job because they didn't. none of these guys know what's went on behind the scenes. And uh, that's, you know, we get a little instruction about that in the New Testament, right? Judge not lest you be judged. Now, we can discern and make judgments based on God's Word, but when you see a situation, you don't necessarily... Uh, <coughs> know what's brought that situation about so there are situations that all of us could say you know what I opened the door to Satan there and now I'm paying for it right anybody ever been there yeah sometimes we just get thrown into trials we're allowed to go through trials Uh, sometimes we may be resisting God and that's kind of putting us in trouble so there's at least three things you need to look at when you start facing adversity. 
you, first, thing you want, first thing I do is I start taking inventory. And that's really what Job's doing here. I start saying, okay, is there anything between me and God? And try to start searching my life and see if I've neglected to do something he's asked me to do or if I'm involved in something that he don't want me to be involved in. The next one is, have you sinned? Have you done something? Have I done something wrong? And it's open, give Satan access. And then finally, has God just allowed this season because he's growing my faith? The Bible says the trying of our faith is more precious than gold. So you're going to face some adversity. God's going to allow you and I to face adversity. We just don't want to bring any more in on us than, than, than we have to. We don't want to be responsible for that ourselves. But sometimes we are. So take an inventory. Regularly take an inventory is not a bad thing. Uh, I think I shared this once or twice lately, but <clears throat> one of the prophecies that came from the Philippines that I still have from Derek Prince. Some of you are familiar with Derek Prince. Uh, who's gone on to be with the Lord. And he, one of the things the Lord spoke through him was, beware of uncommanded work. In other words, don't just run around out there being busy. Get led by the Lord. Get unctioned by the Lord. If you and I came in, and we, we would probably have misjudged the situation. If we'd have walked in that day when Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and her sister was up doing all the work, let's be real, right? Most of us would have said, can you believe she's sitting over there not helping her sister? Right? I mean, Martha's cutting a chicken up to fry. She's getting all the corn boiled or whatever, baking the bread. And Mary's sitting over there at Jesus' feet. And Martha kind of gets agitated about it, right? And Jesus corrects her. <clears throat> Going out and witnessing needs to be paved, bathed in prayer before you go. Making sure, God, you're carrying that unction with you. Emotion don't move anything. We all have emotions. But they don't move God. What moves God is our heart. He looks past all that. And you've heard me say this before. God don't move because there's a need. If He just moved because there was a need, there wouldn't be any, right? Everybody in Ephraim McDowell today has needs. If all it took for God to show up and move was for someone to have a need, then the hospital would get cleaned out today. Because they all have needs. What moves God is faith. That's what moves God. A clean heart and faith. And so that's where God's calling us to believe and to trust in Him. Most of us, this is, Paul's a great example of this. He's on a mission trip that God's given him to go on. He's ministering as he goes. And then the Holy Spirit one night says, Say, do not go in this city. Go around it. Timing, right? God's got timing. He's got purposes. Things we don't know. Sometimes we're in the same position as Job. We don't know what's went on in the heavenlies for us to be in that moment. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Job's still in the dark about that. Obviously, he comes to God gives him that understanding at some point as he penned this down. He said, my soul loathes my life. I mean... He's at the bottom, lost all his children, all his businesses, most of his servants with the exception of the ones that got to escape to come and bring him the bad news. And then, uh, then his wife's turned against him. He said, I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. So he's wanting some understanding. Does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the work of your hands? He's trying to get God to... Come into his moment and smile on the counsel of the wicked. Do you have eyes of flesh or do you see as man sees? Are your days like the days of a mortal man? Are your years like the days of a mighty man? That you should seek for my iniquity and search out my sin. <clears throat> so that's good to see that Job's being honest, right? He's saying, you know, what's going on here? Am I... 
Although you know that I am not wicked, and there is no one who can deliver from your hand, your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity. Yet you would destroy me. Remember, I pray, that you have made me like clay. Now, Job had a lot of understanding. And, and will you turn me into dust again? Now, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? you got to remember, there were no Psalms written at this time. None of the rest of the Bible had been written. This is the first book that's ever been penned down. Moses coming later to start writing everything down and the Chronicles and David and the sound, all that. It's the first book ever written. So the understanding that Job has is phenomenal. But he walked with God. You, you'll never have the same level of understanding. I don't care how smart you and I think we are in some subjects. We'll never have the same level of understanding if we don't make God front first. It's a game changer. You, how can we not make the one who knows everything front and center? He knows everything. About everything. And God's the only one. The, the, the Trinity, they are the only ones that know everything about everything. So it is to our advantage to make Him the Lord of our lives and to surrender to His authority and to seek His counsel and His advice, to spend time in His Word and get His input into our lives. Nobody, I don't care how much they love you, no one in your, in your circle will ever have the ability and authority to do in your life what God can. It won't, it'll never be even close. And so it's important for us to understand that and to, and to stay there. And he's, Job's saying, you know, nobody can deliver you from, your, from my hand. You made me. And he said, you're going to send me back to the dust again. That's an understanding of what happens when people die. I, <clears throat> sometimes I get agitated when you run into those folks who think that we're all smarter than everybody that's ever been because we have more technology. Well, God's going to talk about some of that later on with Job even. You know, I want to know uh, the people who make cell phones. Where were you when the sun was hung out? Where are you when those birds fly down 2,500 miles and lay their eggs and go on back home and those that hatch know exactly where to go when they're hatched. Where are you? Where am I? Where is uh, Apple? Remember, I pray you, you've made... You know, think about technology. It's what we've inputted in, input into it. So our, the Bible says God's foolishness is wiser than our greatest wisdom. Whatever we think that is. He says, Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with the skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. Now who taught Job how to write? You have granted me life and favor and your care has preserved my spirit. So he knows who God is. He's not backing away from that. And these things you've hidden in your heart, I know that this was with you. If I sin, then you mark me and will not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am wicked, woe to me. Even if I am righteous, I cannot lift up my head. So what he said there was, he was trying to say, if I'm wicked, then I'm basically, you're against me. But then he goes on and, and makes a, even a greater statement, right? He says, but even if I'm righteous, I still can't lift up my head to you. You are so high above me. Paul said our righteousness on our own is like filthy rags. Now, Job don't have full understanding of, of redemption. He has some limited understanding of that and how God's going to manifest his forgiveness through the covenant with his son and how that he's going to cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, which is great news, that we've none of us have got what we deserve. 
And God knew that, right? Think about what Revelation chapter 11 says, or 12, where it says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Now, don't you think about that for a minute. That means that God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit was there because that, in Genesis 1, when it says, let us make man in our image, that's Elohim, that's the plural form of God. So the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit were all there before the earth was created, Adam and all that stuff. The, they, the Father and the Son, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit in His role, they entered into a covenant that He would be the sacrifice for the sins of man before man was created. I think a lot of people think what happened in the garden caught God off guard. That didn't catch God off guard. They, they look at that and they think, oh, God now is going to have to go to plan B. No. He knew. He knew what was going to happen. That's what's magnificent about God is that He knows the end from the beginning. Right? And so He's kind of like at the back of the parade. He's seeing it all before it happens, right? You're up the road somewhere waiting on the parade to unfold, right? That's our position. And so when you, if you're on the other end where the parade's coming, you're seeing things unfold at that moment, but that stuff came from way back. It's God's way back there at the front of the parade or the back, I guess. That's hard to, I'm trying to explain it to you the best way I can. But we're seeing it for the first time and God's already seen the whole thing. And so for, to think about God not being caught off guard, so when Adam fell, Adam and Eve fell, God wasn't caught off guard. He'd already entered into this covenant with His Son that He would be, take our place and die, die for us. So God's really been all around the corner before you and I get there. It's a pretty awesome God. He says, uh, clothe me in skin and flesh, knit me together with bones and sinews. You've granted me life and favor. You care for my spirit. You, your care has preserved my spirit. And, and these things you have hidden in your heart. I know this is with you. If I sin, you mark me. If I have iniquity, uh, woe to me. If I'm righteous, I can't even lift my head. I am full of disgrace. See my misery. If my head is exalted, you hunt me like a fierce lion. In other words, we know how God feels about the proud, right? Now, let's be honest. Sometimes as we walk through life, we see a little pride show up, don't we? Yeah, sometimes we see it. And God's going to keep working on us and conquer that. He says, uh, see my misery, my head's exalted. If, I'm, if uh, you hunt me like a fierce lion, again, you show yourself awesome against me. You renew your witness against me and increase your indignation toward me changes and war are ever with me now I want to take you if you will real quickly to Isaiah let's go to Isaiah chapter 6 <clears throat> take you back here I used this a little bit the other day but let me take you back here for a moment I want you to pay attention I use it from a different perspective but I want to I want to show you something that happened here now Isaiah is probably one of the greatest one of the most uh, prolific prophets that we've, the world's ever known. We don't, he's, a, he's another character a lot like um, Joseph. We don't really see anything or know of anything that he's, he was involved in that was wrong. Now, he's, he's a man. He's got nature like ours. He wasn't perfect. But he must have been a fantastic man. Uh, Jewish history says that one of the kings, I believe it was Manasseh, put him in a hollow tree, and cut him in two. That's how he died, they believe. And if you go over into Hebrews chapter 11, it mentions these people who follow God. It says some of them were sawn asunder. I think is how the Bible puts it. So it's believed that Isaiah was, I believe, put in a hollow log by Manasseh, and then they cut him in two. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. Let me look at this in chapter 6 of Isaiah, verse 1. It says, 
In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. And above it stood a seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. With two He flew. And one cried and said, Holy, 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 the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. And I think I brought out how that it didn't matter that the king would die because the Lord was still on His throne. But I want to show you something that happens here. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, listen to what the prophet said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It's <clears throat> Those are life-changing moments. When you encounter the Lord in such a way that His holiness overwhelms you. We couldn't take much of it. It would destroy us. I dare say that everybody in here has been overwhelmed by God's grace and mercy. You felt that. Maybe more than twice. You've been overwhelmed by God's love. You felt that and it's probably moved you emotionally in some ways. But those sparse times when His holiness is just exposed to us for a moment, they're life-changing. Fear gets renewed inside of you, just like Him. You're ready to confess and get, just get it all out. Not hold on to nothing. He said, Moses said, Lord, I want to see you. And he said, eh, I have to stick you in the cleft of the rock, which is a picture of Christ, of course. He said, you can't see me and live. You'll have to see me as I go by. You'll see my back. Because you won't be able to survive. So Isaiah, an awesome guy, loves God, used by God awesomely. Right? The most chapters of any prophet in the scripture. And he's feeling really unclean that's the disparity right between our righteousness and his and Isaiah's feeling that and so he says he starts repenting he starts repenting of that and uh, now let me take you back to this Isaiah cut in two by Manasseh that's what Jewish history teaches Manasseh was a wicked, wicked man. And you're going to feel this when I tell you this. You're going to, you're going to say, man, that, that's how we feel here in this country. The people that seem to live the longest sometimes are the ones that are the meanest. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> it's not always true. But you're thinking, how long do we have to put up with them? Right. But Paul tells us probably the answer to that in Romans chapter 1 and 2. He said, because the long-suffering of God. He's trying to get people to repent. Then Peter says something similar. He said, it's not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance. So God's being long-suffering. So Manasseh ruled 55 years. You know how long David ruled? 40. Fifty-five years he ruled. Mean, wicked, evil. The Bible says he made his own children pass through the fire. You know what that means? It means he sacrificed his children to false gods. And this is going on in the world today. And this is going to be hard for you to hear. But the same thing happened in in, uh, Germany. In a, in a sim, uh, the, the similar thing happened in a different way in Germany in World War II when Hitler was in charge. A lot of times these idol worshipers in Israel would fall into that occasionally or some of their people would. They would take their children. First of all, they would build this idol and they would build arms on this idol and they would light a fire around that idol until that ore and that Metal got so hot it was cherry red, like an old stove. You remember how old stoves would get? Or the metal on a grate in a fireplace, how it would get so red hot. 
And then, and Israel fell into this too, then they would take their children and lay it on the arms of that idol. Or tie it up and put it on the arms where it couldn't get loose. And they would scream and shout and get emotional so they couldn't hear the screams of their own children. You know what they were doing? They were giving them to Satan. Sacrificing them in the name of Satan. Because all those idols have demons behind them. They're not, the idol is nothing more than metal or wood, but there's demons behind that that promote that. Now, in World War II, some church people confessed this. There was a certain point in World War II where the Jews realized once they got on a train what was going to happen to them. At first, it was kind of hidden, right? The, the Germans were taking them to these concentration camps, were doing horrible experiments on them killing them uh, and just shoving their bodies in giant furnaces and burning them, cremating them. They took women and opened their wombs and put live kittens in their wombs and sold them up. They took skin off of people and made lampshades out. That's what, the, what they did. Tortured them, did horrible experiments on them. <clears throat> and this church confessed this. They said, by this time, I read, I've got this in one of the books I've read. By this time, everybody knew that once these people got loaded on these boxcars, what their fate was going to be. The Christians, the Germans, the Jews. The Jews were the ones getting loaded up, but they all knew when they saw those boxes. And the Jews knew it too by this point. And they said that their church was near the railroad tracks. And if they were there having church and they heard the train whistle blow, they would all get up and sing to the top of their voice so they wouldn't have to hear the screams of those Jews as they rode by their church. Now how long of us Christians, how long can we sit by? There's a wreath on Oranian, I believe, one of those concentration camps. There's a wreath that hangs there. The concentration camp, of course, is mostly in rubbles. The gates are still standing. And there's a wreath. It's in Oranienburg, I think, and I forget the camp. But there's a wreath hanging on those gates. And you know what that wreath says? From the Christians. Please forgive us. For what we didn't do. The world's wicked. Those people who tell you that the world's going to get better. They're lying. I'm not a gloom and doomer. Because I've done punch my ticket. I'm going straight to heaven when I die or when the rapture happens. But this world's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Jesus said it's going to, one place he said it's going to be like the days of Noah. And another place he said it's going to be like the days of Lot. And let's think about that. In the days of Noah... The Bible called him a preacher of righteousness. So he was not only building that ark, but he was preaching righteousness for 120 years as well. I know there's dry spells in ministry. I know the church will grow, and then I've been in this long enough, so it don't rock my world, but the church will grow, and here comes the Lord with one of those pruning things. It It does it every time. But can you imagine preaching for 120 years and nobody believing what you said? I love Noah. He's becoming one of my favorite guys. Can you imagine him getting up in the morning, looking at his wife and saying, better pour me two cups of coffee this morning. It's been 46 years. I've not seen a drop of rain yet. (laughs) 
Then he gets up and he says, you better give me the whole pot. It's been 87 years and I've not seen a drop of rain yet. And then he's probably saying, nobody believes me and they didn't. Only him and his family got on that ark. How bad was it? Well, if you go back to Adam or Adam, there was, by the time of Noah, there were probably several, at least several million people in the earth. Eight. Eight believed, and we're not convinced that all of them necessarily believed. They probably didn't have a choice because their dad told them they had to get on the boat. Maybe that hopefully they believed. Eight. What about Jeremiah? He's 40 years. We don't read of any convert under Jeremiah's ministry. Not one convert. Was he successful? Yes, he was. You know why? I'll write this on the board. This is what success is in the kingdom of God. Obedience. That's how we measure success. You don't measure your life in the kingdom of God by results because you and I are not responsible for that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We're, we're responsible to plant and water. God has to give the increase. He has to prick their heart. He has to open their eyes. He has to draw men. What we're called to do is to be obedient. And Jeremiah certainly was obedient. They threw him in prison. They threw him in wells. They'd done everything they could to get him to stop talking, and he kept prophesying, even though we don't read about any converts. Noah, a man who stood the test of time. That's how Jesus said it's going to be. So now we understand what I shared Sunday, why he probably said what he said, right? He said many are going to go to destruction, and few are going to wind up in heaven. And he, he tells us it's going to be like the days of Noah. Then he tells us it's going to be like the days of Lot. Think about that. Lot, his wife, two daughters left. And his wife didn't make it all the way up the hill. Because she turned to see what they did with Macy's if it was blown up when it's <laughs> She turned, and this is a picture for us, right? She turned because, now listen, and this is something you want to ask yourself and be real with yourself. She turned back, which was a direct violation against what God had said to do, right? She turned back because her body had come out of Sodom, but her heart hadn't. And I think sometimes that's what happens to people who congregate sometimes even in a church. Their body comes into the building of the church, but their heart's still out there somewhere. So you think about that. Of all the examples Jesus could have given us, He said in one place it's going to be like the days of Noah, another place it's going to be like the days of Lot. Now, there's more to that than just people rejecting there is that few, and you can be a part of that few. Just add one more to the few, and that's you. Right? That's great. But what good do we see out of that? We see that God takes care of His people. All you got to do is look to Him, what I started this message off with. Look to Him, heed what He says, and follow. Uh, and, there, and I shared this probably going through Revelation, but I'm sure I did. Uh, the two witnesses that come back over there in chapter 11. I believe it's Moses and Elijah. And, and there's a little debate on that. Most, those other people are wrong, but they can be that way if they want to. But I'll tell you why. You know, the Bible talks about the two witnesses, right? And, and the prophets. And uh, then we get over, Zechariah talks about the two witnesses. Then you get over into Matthew chapter 17 when the Mount of Transfiguration comes. There's two witnesses. And up on that hill is the law and the prophets. And the new covenant, Jesus. Moses and Elijah appear on that mountain 
when Peter and, all, Peter and James and John are up there too, they're watching all this. Jesus is being transfigured, and he tells them not to tell anybody till after he's ascended. And then Peter writes about it later over in his epistle, and then they bring it out in the Gospels. But these two witnesses, which represent the law and the prophets, they show up on that mount, Elijah and Moses. And then when you get over in Revelation and you see what those two prophets do, the ministries and the miracles, that's the exact same things that Elijah and Moses did in the Old Testament. Now, two things I want you to think about. And this is why I came to this conclusion years ago. And I had the opportunity to study and learn things, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, but Elijah, we know, went up in a fiery chariot. Moses, in the book of Jude, the Bible says the devil tried to steal Moses' dead body. Now, why would he do that? And why would God be preserving it? He ain't preserved nobody else's body. He didn't preserve John the Baptist. And Moses had an unusual burial. If you go back to the Old Testament, right? God buried Moses. They didn't have a funeral for him. He went up on the hill with God and they didn't see him anymore. So God's preserving His body, I believe, or it's what the preacher thinks. And He's probably right. You don't have to say that far. And so God is preserving. Now, the reason that I don't believe it's Enoch is because Enoch is a picture of the church and where Enoch was moved up, totally different than what happened to Elijah. Enoch, the Bible, he was translated, and in the Hebrew, it suggests that his molecules were changed which is a picture of the church, right? Will be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And then Enoch is the seventh from Adam. And what did God do? God took Enoch before the flood, before he brought his judgment. And that's a beautiful picture of the church. But there's something very simple there with Enoch that we all need to hear. If you want to make it with God, do what Enoch did. The Bible said he walked and talked with God. It's that simple. He walked and talked with God. How many remember who Cho is from South Korea? Had the largest church in the world. Still probably does. I, don't, I think he's going to be the Lord. He had a church of a hundred and some thousand. They had prayer mountain behind it. <clears throat> well, all the Americans heard about that and they brought him over here in the late 80s or the mid 80s. And they ask him, you know how us Americans are, we're kind of like the Greeks, give us five things, <laughs> right? Give us five things so we can do all five and get what you got. And they asked Cho, they said, what's the secret to what God's done in building the largest church in the world there? You know what his answer was? His answer was, I'll try to mimic it. I pray and obey. <laughs> it's really that simple. Why have we made this so complicated? You can go to that next seminar if you want to. Try to learn something. But your power and success will come from when you pray and obey. They ain't got nothing new that ain't already. That next conference don't have anything new that's not already in this book. And in fact, if they got stuff that ain't in this book, you don't need to go. And so our success, I'm hearing you, Lord, speak to all of us tonight. Our success is in walking and talking with God. That's where you're going to be the most successful. That's where you're going to get the power. That's where you're going to get that unction. That's where you're going to get revelation. God... Wants all of us to be like Enoch. He walked and talked with God and he was not for God took him. Really what's going to happen with the church when they get raptured. When the, and I, 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 Church is kind of a loose term in some cultures now, even ours. That's when the true believer, that's what's going to happen to the true believer. Who? Those people who walk and talk with God. And Job... Job's talking with God, <coughs> but he's not getting any answers yet. Oh, he's going to get them. They're coming. And he said, let's go back to Job and finish a little bit of this. He says, <coughs> verse 18, Why have you brought me out of the womb? 
Oh, that I'd perished and no eye had seen me. I would have been as though I had not been. I would have been carried from the womb to the grave. Are not my days few? Cease, leave me alone, that I may take a little comfort before I go to the place from which I shall not return. He's wanting some relief. Anybody ever been there? To the land of darkness and the shadow of death, and the land is dark, darkness itself, and the shadow of death, without any order where even the light is the darkness. When our family lost that little girl that we had for almost two years, it's probably the hardest thing we'd all ever been through. We've not really had a death close enough that was untimely. Now, those are hard to deal with, too. You know, I've buried grandparents and people close, but those people lived out their lives, and you knew they were going to their reward. But that was the hardest thing that our families ever dealt with. A couple of things um, uh, that went on during that. Number one, I have no ill will toward the judge, even though I believe he made a horrible decision. Because I knew God was in charge. So that kept me from being offended at him. I knew God had his heart in his hand and he can turn it however he wants to. Now for about six weeks, I had rough prayer times. I mean, I was pushing the borders. I didn't get out of bounds because I know who God is and I know who I'm not. But I was really pressing in hard. <clears throat> and then... Uh, one day, I woke up with a kidney stone. God laid me on my back. And when he laid me on my back, then gout set in. Now, this is all before what I went through last year. Gout's kind of been at bay since all that went on. Thank you, Lord. But he laid me on my back. For six days, I couldn't move. You may have not known that because it happened on Monday and I was back in the pulpit on Sunday. <laughs> but for six days, I was down hard. The worst bout of gout I've ever had. And if any of you have ever had a kidney stone, whew, I've had them two or three times in my life. And they're rough. But he got my attention. I couldn't move. Of course, you know what it did for me? The first two days, I got even madder. Like a good Christian. Strong God. Ain't it enough? You know, you know how you think. Ain't it enough just to take her away? But after God broke me, about that third day, He started talking to me. And... He started taking me to Moses, you know, and I've shared that, how he, how he took Moses from his family and had him raised in Egypt in Pharaoh's house. And all of us, myself included, looking at that, would have said, that don't make any sense. You taking him out of that Hebrew family and giving him to those pagans? All of us parents would have probably kicked against that, wouldn't we? And God took me over there and showed me what he was doing. So... A couple of things happened. Number one, it kept me from being offended to judge because I know God's in charge. He could have done, he can do anything. I believe that. The other thing is, I know he's responsible for her. And he can take way better care of her than I ever would have been able to, or my son, his wife, whom they, you know, they would have done fine. But I'm just saying, when you get in those moments where you don't have any understanding... I still don't have any full. I don't. I still don't have the full understanding, but God gave me enough and showed me enough with His Word. And and you see, that's the difference. I knew. I knew about Moses. I've read about Moses probably two hundred times in in there. Well, let me give you this before I quit, because this will help you. I won't get back in there. In your Bible, in the New Testament, there's two words that we translate God's word. Logos and rhema. 
Logos is the written word. Here it is. It's truth. It's history. Valid history. It's doctrine. Everything. This is the only tangible thing we have that God left us. His word. The thing that we can actually lay our physical hands to. Everything else is done in the spirit realm. This is the only tangible thing we have. So, even though I had read about Moses 200 times, give or take, that week it went from Logos to Ramah. Logos is just knowing and having the knowledge. Ramah is when God brings that word and sticks it into your life and revelates it to you and says, this is what I'm saying to you. And God does that with His Word. He sometimes, you have you read the Word and it's just like, oh man. Whew. And you may have read that ten times. But you knew what you read that day was for your moment. For your season. For your situation. And God took that. Gave you strength. Gave you comfort. Gave you power. And changed your life. He came by on that third day and pulled me out of that funk with about two sentences. He put up with me. He endured me like Job. He loved me. Kept quiet for a while. And then, bam, I'm down. And then three days into it, he walks through my living room. And says, here's what I want to say to you. He didn't beat me up. He wasn't mad at me. He just pulled me up. Now I shared a story, a true story here, just a few weeks ago. One of my closest friends in high school, out of high school, you'll remember this, left Kentucky, went to another state, started living the homosexual lifestyle, would come in occasionally, come by the church, we'd talk. He knew my position with God's Word, and I didn't. I, he knew. He had walked with God. He knew. He'd turned, his, turned away from all that. And went after, he knew. We didn't even have to discuss it. I just, we talked every time he'd come in. Finally, that last time he came in, he said, I need to speak with you. And this is, you all, most of you have heard this. And he said, we went back to my office this time instead of just kind of sitting around in a couple of seats out. And he said, I'm dying. We actually went to church together a lot. We actually went to a couple of conferences together back in the day. He said, I'm dying. He said, most of my family's turned me away. But he asked me if I'd do the funeral, and I said, yeah. Of course, I'm concerned. And then he says, let me tell you what the Lord done. I believe he said he had a vision. It could have been a dream, and you all heard that. He said, I'm going to tell you something before I quit that, that I need to say to you, I think. And that the, the whole world needs to hear. He said, in my, in my, maybe it was a dream, it was a dream revision, but in my dream, he said, I was laying in a big mud puddle. And he said, I was, it was up to here on me. He said, but it wasn't mud. It was feces, sewage. He said, I stunk. I was covered in it. And I can't hardly tell this without crying every time. But he said, I looked up and there stood Jesus. And he said, he had a beautiful white robe. Didn't have a spot on it. And said, he looked at me. And he waded out in all that crap. 
got his garment covered in it. Said he stank like me. Said he picked me up. Carried me out of that sewage. Cleaned me off and took me to a dinner table. Now when you get invited, when you come in, you, we all understand what the dinner and the wedding's about, right? It's about acceptance. It's about you're in. Said he gave him new clean clothes, cleaned him up, set him at his table to eat. We wept. I wept like a baby. He, he got right with the Lord. He went on to be with the Lord. But I got news for you. This is what I want to tell you. Every one of us was in that sewage hole. And Jesus waited out in there to get us. You can't understand how much it means to have a Savior if you don't know how bad sin really is. To think that Jesus, and we know that's the nature of Jesus, right? If you'll come down here and suffer the way he did and hang on a tree for us, he'll walk out in some sewage and pick somebody up. All he went through. So I want you to understand something tonight. Job's battling it. You've probably battled it in your worst moments. You've got a God that loves you. That is not that person that was saying, I'll do anything for you. But he's the one that did do anything for you. Scarcely will a man die for his friends, lay down his life. Well, what about his enemies? Paul said we were all enemies of the cross. And Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. I don't know what put you in that septic tank you were in. <laughs> I don't know. But thank God. Jesus waited out in there and got all of us. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this moment. I thank you for your love and mercy that's been extended to all of us. Us people of clay. We are just clay. And you've loved us with an unquenchable love. How wonderful are you. I pray God that your Holy Spirit will comfort us. Move us, help us to be settled in you and to live every day like it's our last. To attend to you. May we attend to you and then attend to people. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.